Hello everyone, my name is Madison David. Hi, my name is Flynn Southworth. My name is Thomas Gambler with Reed Brown. Hi, my name is Kate Manson, and this is my plan for being successful in the future. Okay, uh, this is the Three Bros, One Truth podcast. By far, the most important value a leader can possess is the ability to balance joy and drive. Am I living my life to the fullest? Are the choices I make today going to benefit me later in my life? There are so many people in life that want the American dream. But for me, on the other hand, I'm talking about my future and what it likely will be. You're listening to Notes from Above the Line, a podcast by the Leadership Fellows Certificate Program at Montana State University. My name is Joe LaVisca. It's fall 2020, and you're about to hear from the students of Leadership Foundations. Leadership Foundations is a class that teaches students foundational skills to lead across personal, organizational, and global scales. Students in this class learn to use shift moves, bringing themselves from unconscious leader behavior into a leadership practice that is open, curious, and committed to learning. In this podcast, students have answered the prompt, what is the future I am creating now? They considered the implications of their habits and behaviors, both good and bad, for their future selves. Coming up, each student will read their answers to the prompt and then present a short interview clip that they conducted with a leader in their lives. I'll play the students' contributions back to back, and then I'll rejoin at the end for some final thoughts. Okay, ready? Enjoy. Behind those eyes, who is watching? Hi, my name is Flynn Southworth. I am a sophomore at Montana State University, and today I'm talking about my future and what it likely will be. Thinking about the future can be scary. Anything that is unknown causes anxiety and gives me a really uneasy feeling in the bottom of my stomach. Am I living my life to the fullest? Are the choices I make today going to benefit me later in my life? Also, what do I truly want for my future? All of these questions are borderline impossible for me to answer. I'm 19 years old and I can honestly say that I'm still unsure about what exactly I want in my life. What I can say is I have set many goals and some of these goals are going to be very hard to accomplish, so I have to think about what I can do to achieve them. Everyone holds their own future in the palm of their hands. Today, while attending school, I feel that I'm an academically smart person. College is hard for me though, and there are some classes where I feel like I should just be able to cruise straight through them. However, last year I think I could have done better in these classes than I actually did. The thing about it is when we got put fully online last year, I definitely felt it easy to procrastinate and just push some of the schoolwork to the side. It felt so easy for me to just let some of these things slip by, and I noticed that what I was once putting my all into, I was slowly letting go of. I had to stop and think one day about school and while I was so willingly pushing everything to the side, and that's when it hit me. I started thinking about my future, and I knew that my future is decided by what decisions I make on a day-to-day basis. I know that being academically smart is a huge role in today's world, and that is when I decided that I didn't want to be someone who procrastinates everything or just takes the easy route because it's easy. In the book, I really like a quote from page 45, and it says, Blame is a powerful motivator. Like its cousin's guilt and shame, it is one of the most common forms of motivation used. This quote really made me think a lot about owning up to something and taking responsibility when I need to. Also, on page 64... I noticed a lot, especially with me in school or anything in life, I always feel like I'm stuck with being right. And that's exactly what I want to be no matter what. And no matter how wrong I ever am, I will still argue my side to the fullest. And I found a passage on page 64 that reads, 
please understand the issue isn't being right, but rather wanting to be right and fighting to be right and proving that we are right. When talking to a group, we often illustrate this by asking everyone to think of a simple, unarguable situation that in their mind they are very confident is right. When this comes to their mind, we ask them to observe how attached they are to being right about this rule. How much energy do they have to fight for to defend that the fact that 2 plus 2 equals 4? Usually, they observe that they have very little energy to fight for the, right, the rightness of their belief. Why? Well, from our perspective, it is because they know that they are right and they don't need to defend this law as though their identity or ego may depend on it. And I really like this uh, passage because I remember in class, we kind of did an example like that where we got a partner and told them something that we felt we were very right about and very passionate about and explained our, explained our side. So I really like that about that passage in chapter two. Hi, my name is Flint Southworth. I'm a second year student here at Montana State University. Um, today, I'm going to be interviewing my sister, Lissy. Uh, she's a third year psych major. I'm choosing to interview her because I thought she could speak some knowledge about the subject of tying mental health to leadership to really help keep my life plan clear. So, Lissy, for my first question for you, I have... Sweet. Um, how can someone prepare for achieving a goal, like to see the light at the end of the tunnel and to really keep a, you know, like a clear, clear path, a clear vision, uh, and just staying focused to, you know, stay mentally strong throughout the yeah, goal? Yeah, for sure. Very valid question. Um, so people just in our own human nature, we like to see progress. Um, and the best way to see progress is to set these little goals on the side that will get you eventually to your big goal. So if like, for example, right now I have a goal of graduating college. And so all of these little goals that I can set are like passing exams, getting a good grade on a paper. And so you set these little things so that you can actually physically see your own progress rather than having to wait like a certain long period of time before you even see any change. Um, So we want to see change. And so you have to give yourself mechanisms to see that change. Right. It's like taking like baby steps to you know slowly but surely yeah exactly. get to where you want to be in your life building on it right um what is one characteristic that you think all leaders have to possess i think that every person who is able to be a leader has a degree of empathy um i think that they are able to really put themselves in other shoes and be understanding and be aware and just be conscious of the fact that everybody has their own experiences, their own perspectives, and all of these different things. Like, as a leader, um, you have to really acknowledge everybody's opinions and stuff like that. And so really having empathy to be able to put yourself in a position to understand that and take it all into account is something special that I think leaders have to have. All right. Well, thank you, Lissy. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yep. And... (laughs) I think it's really cool how we're hearing these students in a moment of transition where they are moving toward a new sense of themselves with the ideas of conscious leadership front and center. The next student that we'll hear from is Andy Baker. And Andy has written a piece that really describes that transition as she experiences it in the present moment. So here's Andy Baker. Every day I wake up often to the sound of a blaring alarm. 
I might look at my phone for a few minutes, but before long, my feet feel the ground underneath me. And I wiggle my toes. For most of my life, this is one routine I have followed consistently since day one. However, there are other beliefs and values that I follow throughout my days, even if they are not as consistent as wiggling my toes every morning. I would say that one of my most potent convictions in life is that happiness comes from within. I started believing this only a year ago, and I worked to make it a reality because for so long in my life, I was not happy. In eighth grade, during one night, I truly believed that I didn't deserve to live another day. I didn't think that I was worthy, that I was enough, or that I mattered to anyone. But I didn't tell anyone about it because I was ashamed that I wasn't strong enough. When I finally told my mom in a gas station parking lot, the shame lifted as she listened and shared her own feelings. I wasn't alone. From that moment, I was determined to not feel ashamed or unworthy, but replace those feelings with happiness. I am thriving now, most days. I actively pursue my happiness and make it my own. There are three beliefs that align with my values. The first is work. Growing up, my family centered around this idea that working, especially physical work, is valuable. The value of work led me to have a high anxiety level and break down once a month from burnout. Going home for an extended period during the COVID pandemic made me realize that I was in an unhealthy environment. I couldn't wait to leave and go back to my own space. My family and I, of course, still love each other, but I'm more hesitant with the idea of being, of loving someone just because we're blood. They are people that I have known for less time that are more accepting and understanding of a new me. I know I need to speak candidly, but I'm afraid that they will not love and accept a new, louder, bolder, and different person. I hope my family and I can become more accepting, but until then, there will be a separation. Lately, instead of working until I'm unable to think, I take breaks every hour or so by meditating, going outside, or even just laying on my floor if it's been a really rough day. I have also been working on being present. Instead of thinking about when I get off work, the weekend, or the end of a class, I try to be present. And the final area I'm going to focus on is listening. It's effortless to talk about yourself, and we've all found ourselves wanting to be the center of attention. I have found that listening to people makes them trust you, it creates a more in-depth understanding that our modern society is missing, and it's what most people crave, including myself. It is easy to be on your phone all day, lying in bed, not even putting your feet on the ground to take the first step of your day. Being conscious is hard. Being a conscious leader is harder. If you asked me, even a month ago, what I wanted to do for a job, it would have been different than what my plans are today. I would have told you that I wanted to go into international agriculture policy because I'm interested in politics and I want to make better prices for agriculturists. However, I recently discovered that mental wellness education is my passion. I am contemplating the idea of changing my major, well, I did (laughs) change my major to psychology, and I'm becoming more well-versed in that topic. As an advocate for mental health, I envision myself talking to high school age students and agriculturists about noticing mental health symptoms, not only in themselves, but in those around them. (sighs) I wrote this a month ago, and then I'm rereading it to you now. And it's been a lot different as life seems to be kicking me around lately. 
And I'm glad I had the chance to reread this because my answers change and that's okay. Thanks for listening. Bye. My name's Thomas Gambler. This is self-improvement and personal reflection. A lifelong goal of mine is to find happiness in what I do. Happiness is not defined by success. However, personal success can lead some to happiness. I want to live a fulfilling life and feel content with what I have accomplished, but I do not want to shy away from striving for greatness and fervently working. I want to set a stellar example for the people around me and serve as an effective model for them. I will strive to always help people if I'm able to, for I have found that the greatest joy in life is the action of helping others. I will aim to make myself into an effective leader by reflecting on my decisions, living a life filled with congruence, and balancing a mix between joy and responsibility. I try my best to never hide who I am on the inside, and I never let the idea of someone else's opinion stop me from speaking my mind. If the people around you see you as stoic and unfeeling, then no open group collaboration will ever happen. By far, the most important value a leader can possess is the ability to balance joy and drive. Finding fulfillment in worthwhile work while taking time to enjoy the journey. I have found myself during my life swaying generously to one side or the other. I need to be able to find the joy and responsibility during the same moments in life and then use that balance to properly handle whatever I have to face. Drive is the compulsion to never be satisfied. True leaders recognize every circumstance as an opportunity to learn and grow. I have major faults in me, and using reflection, I will continue to fight them. If I follow the trail I've created for myself, I can and will become a better leader every day. I can be a man that people will look to follow, responsible, ambitious, open, and in-balance leader. My interview subject is my father, Thomas Clark Gamblin. He's a leader at his place of work, and he leads his house with an equal balance of logic and emotions. He's been a large influence on my life and has taught me most of the values I hold closest to my heart today. So uh, would you consider yourself to be a leader? Yeah, I would. And, um, you know, I've had a lot of opportunities to lead different types of groups. Um, I don't think you have to be in charge of a very big group uh, to call yourself a leader. You could, you could lead your family. You could lead a small group of people. So it's not about the number of people that you're leading. It's more about a, a shared mission or a shared vision and you being a designated person to help that group get there. So in that leadership... Uh, where do you find the greatest joy? Yeah, well, I think that one of the, there's a lot of joys of leadership. Uh, there's some there's some tough parts of it, and there's some some very um, wonderful parts of it. But I think one of the biggest joys is seeing other people succeed. If you can get beyond your own personal credit and you see what other people in your group are doing that you're leading, there's so much joy in seeing them succeed, seeing the accolades come to that group. Uh, that you're playing a part in. The next student that we'll hear from is Reed Brown. Uh, Reed focused on his experience talking about and feeling his emotions with his boisterous and sometimes abrasive family. So let's hear from Reed. 
With every member of my family having a strong sense of humor, the joke is valued above all else in conversation. When we get together for dinner, it's consistently one of the best conversations I've ever had. <laughs> We're throwing out zingers left and right, eating good food, and hearing masterfully told stories. It's a great time, but it's felt hollow. Both my parents are extremely caring people with a great skill and empathy, but have the emotional communication skills of a telemarketer. When combined with the fact that my brothers and I vigorously bullied each other while growing up and then never talked until college, this leads to some gaps in knowledge about each other's lives. And Lane never ceases to have a supply of criticism for anyone doing anything. Uh, there has never been a time I've messed up or fumbled that he didn't take the shot for the joke. And Nick was so much older than me that I constantly felt out of his league, whether it be going to the gym regularly, keeping informed on current events, or honing self-discipline. He always seemed to be at the top of his game, and I at the bottom. After my first time back to Billings, I felt stressed, out of the loop, discouraged, and disassociated. And you wonder if you want to have people like that around you that make you feel that way whenever they're around. But thankfully, I started to think about what possible positives they contributed to my life. Mom has taught me what working hard truly looks like and the virtue of never taking just good as enough. Papa taught me that life is too burdened with the serious stuff. I should look for comedy everywhere to fill where it's needed. Lane taught me where the critical eye is and how to approach any situation with an obscure point of view to get different answers. And Nick taught me what maturity looks like and what to strive for in adulthood while also finding the childhood in every moment. I waited to finish this paper until after my discussion with both brothers, Nick and Lane, to see what speaking candidly could look like with a trio of men that have never really done that. We use the three circles of candor, truthfulness, openness, and awareness while talking, as well as trying to pay attention to conscience, lead, uh, listening. Through candid conversations, I am repairing my past and building relationships where I and others around me feel comfortable being genuine and honest. And I hope that this paper and podcast inspires others to speak the unspoken. When you have started it. <laughs> Uh, okay, uh, this is the Three Bros, One Truth podcast with Reed Brown, Lane Brown, and Nikolai Brown, as youngest, middle, and oldest Brown brothers, uh, and we will be talking about truth today. I think I'd say, uh, one of the things that I've contemplated over the last couple of years is, like, when you share those emotions, at what level should you share those emotions? Because, obviously, if I share something that's sad or... It's relieving for me to get it out, but if I'm sharing with like nine other people, those nine other people will feel a little bit more sad or they're empathetic towards it, so they put themselves in my place. Um, I think also but, the like going from the utilitarian perspective, it's kind of pr the projected sadness. Like if you had held it in and then didn't say it to anything and it bottles up, maybe that causes worse effects than if you just let it go and then everyone experiences a little bit of sadness and you move on together kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I think um, I think talking about emotions does help resolve them. I talked about it in this book. It's it's not about just talking about them because that can often lead to recycling emotions, where you're just feeling the same thing and you're just being validated in those emotions. But it it talks about like um, 
experiencing those emotions and then moving away from them. It's not just about bottling them up, putting them on a shelf to never talk about them again, or having them out in the open just to have them circling around. Uh, but it's about taking those emotions, seeing what emotion that you're at, and then moving on to the next thing. I think also, too, like, there is a good point about saying don't let it bottle up, but then also there is a good point about, like, um, like, you can bottle things up, like... Take that mask off, you don't need it anyway. Every day you got the mask on, it's the same old song. Every day you got the mask on, I know it feel kind of wrong. Cause every day you got the mask on, another piece of you is gone. Thanks y'all. Something these students have come to recognize in class is that speaking candidly is speaking vulnerably. And being able to access that vulnerable side, being able to peek under the rug, so to speak, allows for so much more self-awareness, which in turn forms the bedrock of a conscious leadership practice. I appreciate how unique each student's approach to their own leadership was, from looking to the future with hope to the balance of joy and drive. Well done, y'all. Notes from Above the Line is a project of the Leadership Fellows Certificate Program at Montana State University in collaboration with the Systems Zoo. Special thanks go to Stephanie Lindsay, Josh Meyer, Dan Short, and Madeline Kirch for all their in-house support, and especially to the students of HLD 121 for being the intrepid students of life that they are. I'm your host, Joe LaVisca. Every day you got the mask on. I know it feel kind of wrong.